0: I have three different spells. I've captured all of them. I can say this one's epileptic, this one's not. About 10 to 20% of people with epilepsy may develop non-epileptic events also. Fellow
1: homo sapiens, today it is part and topic two of our conversation with the adult epileptologist, urologist, and fellow podcast host, Michael Kentris from Ohio, US. And our title today is, do you actually have epilepsy? We talk about the diagnosis of the condition, how complex it can be, and how it is really important to know that diagnosis can change over time. To learn more about Michael, make sure that you check him out at Toryrobinson.com/ slash epilepsy hyphen sparks hyphen insights, where you can find links to his work. And if you haven't already, make sure that you subscribe to the channel to receive weekly episodes featuring some of the world's leading epilepsy specialists and researchers.
0: Well, thanks for having me on again, Tori. I appreciate it. Uh, I am a a clinical neurologist, epileptologist, and I practice at a community hospital. I talk a lot about uh, neurology education on the Neurotransmitters podcast, Uh, focus on learning more about what are best practices in neurology and what you can do to help your patients.
1: Fab. And you are specifically an epileptologist, is that correct? It is your specialization in neurology.
0: Yes, it is. I do a lot of general neurology, but that is, uh, I would say, one of my passions.
1: We were speaking briefly before this recording about uh, uh, functional neurological disorder, um, PNES, non-epileptic seizures, etc. Could you tell us a bit about your work in that, um, the relation between these type of seizures um, and epileptic seizures, and how you distinguish between the two?
0: You know, it's one of these uh, situations where a lot of times someone comes in you know, to emergency and You know, you get a call, you know, as the, as the consultant, Uh, I got a patient here who had a seizure, you know, the ER dot calling you up. And, you know, a lot of times my first, I keep this to myself. My first question mentally is, well, was it really, you know, because a lot of, a lot of physicians, a lot of clinicians don't necessarily Accurately identify seizures based off of what we call semiology, which is just kind of the the physical manifestations of what happens during an episode, whether it 's epileptic non epileptic uh, etc so So there are certain clinical phenomena that occur during an epileptic seizure. obviously that is a wide uh, and varied uh, depending on what part of the brain is being activated and can look like many many different things versus non-epileptic, uh, or you know, a uh dissociative seizure, you know, one of the types of functional neurologic disorders. And then there are in addition to those, there's different types of like sleep, you know, like think of like sleep walking as kind of the classic, but different type of sleep behavior disorders, or in folks with intellectual disability, you might get some uh sort of stereotyped behaviors, uh kind of like with like um different repetitive types of movements and so forth. So trying to drill down on your story in terms of what, what is going on, you know, because there's a, I always remember what one of my, my uh, teachers told me as a resident was, you know, every seizure is like a story. It has a beginning, a middle and an end, and you need to be able to tie those pieces together appropriately. It needs to make sense. It may not be something you're super familiar with, but it needs to make sense consistently. Otherwise you're really questioning, well, do I really have the right diagnosis if we think about, like, for instance, say, uh, folks who have medically refractory epilepsy, right? So folks who have been on at least two different medications who are still having breakthrough seizures, you know, the the recommendation typically is to get these folks to an epilepsy monitoring unit, get them off the medications, put them on the video EEG recording, and capture a spell. And you know, in the in the U.S., a lot of the data would suggest about forty percent, you know, depending on what study you look at. Uh, don't actually have epilepsy, so so we are a lot of times kind of we're anchoring our diagnosis too soon. Yeah. So maybe these are sync, you know sinkable fainting spells. Maybe they're these functional seizures, and we're treating these people with anti seizure medications uh, for years, oftentimes. Oh my goodness. And you know, these aren't necessarily without risk, especially in younger people. And then in addition to just the medications themselves, right? People may be losing losing jobs, they're not able to be independent. Can't drive anymore. Tons of psychosocial uh, consequences of, of this inaccurate diagnosis. So it's really important to to get your you know, get your story straight right from the get go. Um, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> question oneself, I guess, in terms of diagnosis. We were talking about this before, weren't we? About how, you know, no matter one's qualifications and level of you know, the number of books you've read and or the number of years you've been on this earth, one must always question one you know, one's Uh, thoughts beliefs suppositions uh, and diagnosis
0: I'm I'm fortunate in as much my my new position that even though it's not uh, there's no neurology uh, academic department I still get medical students and residents from other services coming through Uh and I always tell them you know like, when you get a report from another clinician, it's like, trust, trust no one. And I, and I say, don't even trust me. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> you know, you, you need to verify everything independently. You know, it's, you know especially in, in big healthcare systems, you know, you get this game of telephone going on. And so a lot of times I'll be going in to do a, a consultation with a patient in the hospital and be like, oh, they asked me to come and see you because, you, you know, they said you were a little confused. And I'll be like, I'm not confused. <laughs> And it turns out they're not they're not actually confused at all <laughs> so so i I think you know just having that that frank and open conversation with with your patients about what are they going- what do they think's going on, and you know if you're really lucky, you'll also have someone who is there who observed it from the outside because you know as a lot of your listeners probably know if if it was a seizure, a lot of times the memory of the event is is very fuzzy at best.
1: Yeah, or well, non-existent sometimes. Exactly,
0: yeah. And there there are some old studies, you know, uh, I think it's about 70% of diagnoses can be made from the history alone, right? In medicine, it's our most fundamental tool is just getting an accurate story. And a lot of times I always tell folks if they are having recurrent events, everybody's got, you know, a, a camera that they're carrying around with them. Uh, I should say most people uh, just video record it uh, because by using that semiology, we can look, you know, what kind of movements are the movements synchronous with one another? Are there side to side movements? Are the eyes open? Are they closed? Uh, You know, different constellations of symptoms say like, oh, this is very consistent with an epileptic seizure versus this is very suspicious for a functional seizure. And then that can really guide you in terms of what testing, like should I be more aggressive with medication, should I hold off until I can get more information and uh, really guide you in providing the best care for, for these people with these you know events that are oftentimes very nebulous at the first onset.
1: So what would you do if you say, okay, this patient is not actually having epileptic seizures. You can't presume that they are not having epileptic seizures at all because that's just one or two views or pieces of evidence of their behavior or movement at that time. So how do you go about ensuring that you don't diagnose somebody based on that one or two sources of information?
0: That is a great question uh, and actually is a fairly challenging one. So if you're again this kind of goes back to the stories right. So one is how many different types of events are there and then you have to like go through each one, you know, get down into the real weeds with it. You know, like how do you feel beforehand? Like, what's the first symptom that you feel? You feel? Do you feel anything? Is there any any warning? Uh, and you know, again, hopefully there is a close friend or family member who's observed most or all of these events, who can be like, oh yeah, and then I see them do X, Y, or Z, and then you can kind of get the whole, you know, isolated incidents right. and. They're like all right are there any other types of episodes that are happening um just anecdotally i remember um during my fellowship we had this this one woman who came in and she was with us for i think about four or five days and we had caught multiple non-epileptic seizures and but the problem was we hadn't caught one of the event types that she was discuss- her entire eeg for days off her medication was normal And we were just about to discharge her home from the hospital. And literally hours beforehand, she had an epileptic seizure. And we're just like, geez. We almost missed it. Right, exactly. And so, you know, because we hadn't captured that last spell yet. So you really need, and that's really the gold standard, is this video EEG documentation of, you know, I have three different spells. I've captured all of them. I can say this one's epileptic, this one's not. As, as you're probably aware, you know, about 10 to 20% of people with epilepsy may develop non-epileptic events also. And so then you got to go back to the drawing board, reevaluate, because then the question is, do I increase the meds? Do I need to focus on another avenue of treatment or evaluation? And I mean,
1: or encourage changes in, you know, in lifestyle as well.
0: I and think. it becomes very challenging when you have you know, these multiple moving parts <laughs> now.
1: We're far too complex a species, aren't we? It's like, God, I wish we were simpler sometimes.
0: <laughs> you know, I guess it's job security for me, at least. But <laughs>
1: <laughs> There is that.
0: <laughs> I, I do wish at times that I wasn't quite uh, so frustrated. Be, you know, it's like one of those things like, you, you know, everyone loves a good mystery but nobody likes a mystery that you can't solve
1: yeah and that's such a really lovely polite way to put it especially from patient perspective yeah right often people's health changes over time doesn't it so you could be having so uh, when i was little for instance I, I was having solely focal seizures and then these became secondary generalized chronic clinic. and i think mm-hmm. you know that is a really common thing i'm not necessarily that avenue but how people's seizures change over time um over the decades or sometimes smaller amounts of time uh do you do you think that's important as well? Looking into that and keeping in touch with patients.
0: Absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's one thing. It's great, obviously, if uh, you start someone on their first antiseizure medication, everything's controlled, minimal to no side effects, perfect aces, right? Um, <laughs> unfortunately, that that is not necessarily the majority of people with epilepsy. Uh, so, over time, like you said, you know are we identifying all the seizures because there's certainly plenty of things where the person especially if they live by themselves may have focal seizures where you know they don't have the big you know grand mal tonic clonic seizure And so it never really comes to attention, either to themselves or to their uh, physician or clinician.
1: Yes, like, oh, it's no big deal, really. But no, darling, that is a big deal.
0: (laughs) Or a lot of times, you know, someone comes in with their first seizure, and it's their first tonic-clonic seizure. And you're talking with them, it's like, oh, this person, they've been having like these panic attacks going on for years and then you find out like oh maybe they got some mesial temporal sclerosis or uh you know another sort of a structural brain abnormality right in the temporal lobe and you're like oh they've been having focal seizures for years and we're just capturing them now uh because now she you know had a car accident or you know he uh you know fell down and bit his tongue or smacked his head and someone saw it so it it becomes this thing where you you have to go back uh and ask a you know I always say when I'm talking to people, you know, it's like I'm going to ask you some weird questions now, <laughs> uh, and because it, right, it's like how many how many doctors ask about like deja vu or like weird feelings in your stomach that comes up towards your head, you know? I I know I've gotten some looks from from people uh, in the past, but sometimes you get like this, and I always feel very validated. This like look of like yeah, how did you know that? I'm like just just asking questions
1: sometimes especially if the person in question is not necessarily familiar with the epilepsy which most people generally are right and which is completely understandable then and if you ask them something which like rings a bell like, oh well i kind of thought that was normal but i knew it wasn't normal and you're explaining of, so you're describing that to me and yeah that sort of that brings that bell like wow and it's lovely to have well not necessarily lovely but it's good to have that sort of recognized as as a thing to be noticed, right
0: because yeah a lot of people are like i just thought i was going crazy you know uh but no there's we know why this is happening and we can hopefully do something to make it better in an ideal setting
1: Yeah, and improve one's quality of life absolutely that is what you are there for is it not Uh, and everybody in neurology and epilepsy yeah to improve quality of life whatever that might mean whether it's about reducing seizures um, and or improving mental health physical health you know or comorbidities we were speaking about that before Whole shebang. Thank you so much for being with us, Michael. It's been a joy as it was last week, and no doubt we will have you again. Could you please just remind everybody the name of your podcast so that we can encourage them to go and tune in?
0: Yeah, it's called The Neurotransmitters, and it is available on all of your major podcast platforms Apple, iTunes, Spotify, and so on. Um, So please take a listen if you're interested, and you know, feel free to reach out if you have any topics that you would like me to cover or you know, even if you want to be a guest.
1: And under this recording, you will also see links to Michael's profiles. You're on Twitter. You're on, you're around, aren't you? I am around. (laughs) Thank you again for joining us, Michael.
0: Thank you so much.
1: If you'd like to connect, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. And I'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about today's show. Please subscribe to Epilepsy Sparks Insights on your podcast app so that you will never miss the weekly episode. I'm Tori Robinson. Thanks for listening.